if you knew um, that Jesus was coming today, how would you prepare? I mean, what would you change? Um, how would you prepare as an individual? How would you prepare? Uh, uh, let's say you thought he was coming to your house. How would you prepare in that way? Uh, what would you address in your heart, in your life, if you thought he was returning? Uh, sometimes when we have someone come to our house, we think they're, they're, they're very important, or they're very important, maybe not by the world standards, but in our eyes, we do a lot of things to prepare, both inside and outside. Sometimes our tendency is, of course, to prepare the outside, not necessarily the inside. I mean, if you had somebody that was really important in your life, maybe in your family, and you knew that they were coming to spend the weekend, you, you work on the outside and inside of your home, but you may not work on the inside of your heart to prepare for them. But I think it's important that we just think about that because there's something about uh, longing to, to make sure that uh, Christ is at home with you, that he could be at home with you, and you would long to do that and prepare yourself uh, in every way possible. Really, the Christian is told to prepare at every le- like to be prepared at all times. If you remember, like Jesus would, he mentioned a number of parables, and those parables were focused on uh, just preparation uh, and making sure that when you know some of them were presented as, as if the bridegroom has come to get his bride, and not everybody was ready. And, and so the whole emphasis was on just preparation and being ready. And, and, and you, we studied First Peter where it was about being sober-minded, to be prepared. I mean, that's something that throughout our lives, it's, it's one of those things where it's like you should always be in, in, prepared. You should always be ready. And sometimes I think we think, and this is, I mean, my tendency too, if you're younger, for instance, you might think, I have a long time. I mean, I really, I mean, I have a long time to, to prepare. And so uh, I'll just wait. I'm not going to prepare yet. I'll just, I'll get ready someday. But the reality is, is this preparation should be one that we find ourselves at all times and in every way. Because we do not know when Jesus is going to return. Disciples wanted to know that, but they didn't know. They, they didn't know. They couldn't find out. Jesus did not tell them. He said that the Father knows. The Father will has appointed the time for my return. And so it's interesting. You'll watch even now. You might uh, be getting ready for the Summer Olympics. And you'll see that Rio, that what they're doing there. And they'll have all kinds of stuff that they'll do to prepare for the Olympics. And you think, how much more should we as Christ's church be prepared for the return of Christ? Um, it's, one of the things you note in the Revelation is is that uh, there are, in a, in a sense, multiple comings of Christ. In the Revelation, you see like where uh, he speaks of coming to the churches. And, and so in chapters 2 and 3, he speaks of like actually coming in the present to churches in a way and, and addressing issues uh, with them. Uh, but this, I think, as we start emphasizing the very end, is his final coming. They're awaiting his final coming, and they should be prepared. Now, if you, you kind of think about, if you read, if you went back, I don't know if you did, but you go back to the first part of the Revelation, and you read chapter 1, and you go to the end of Revelation, you read it, and you see that both things, that both times as you read those, in the very beginning and the very end, there are a lot of the same similarities there. And so I think it's important 
that you just kind of keep that in your mind because it'll help you understand maybe uh, how to how to be more prepared and to be ready and to be focused on the Lord's um, coming. Now, um, in light of his coming, there are like a series of exhortations here. Exhortations to holiness is really what they are, and they're exhorting us to move forward. So you could say this morning, you could even title the very end, Jesus is coming. You could just say that's, that's kind of what it is. And, and maybe even some of your Bibles kind of summarize it that way. And, and, and you, you could might say Jesus is coming, and there's a series of exhortations to holiness from John. For you and I to see and understand. So now I just want you to note these real quick. And you can mark them in your Bible. But 22, 6 and 7 he is coming. So keep these words. 22, 8 through 10 he is coming. So worship. 22, 11 and 12 he is coming. So do what is right. 22, 13 through 17 he is coming. So thirst for him. 22, 18 through 21 he's coming. So be warned. Be, be prepared. Be ready. So let's start with that, 22, 6, and 7. He is coming soon, so keep these words. It's kind of the idea. Verse 6, 7, it says, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servant what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Bless the one who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. It's kind of verse 6 starts, and it's really, verse 6 is kind of concluding a vision from 22.1, I mean, I'm sorry, 21.1 through 22.5, but it's also, in a way, it's coming to the conclusion of the whole book. So we're looking at the conclusion of the whole book. It's a kind of a formal conclusion of this book, and you see this as you move through it. You'll notice, too, we are reminded over and over, these words are trustworthy and true. This is, this is divine revelation. I, I really, I think, I think sometimes we forget that. This is divine. This is God-given. My, my boys go to uh, Bible study fellowship in the, um, you know, one time a week throughout the fall and spring. And, and in their little classes, I think sometimes they'll, hold the Bible out, let them touch it, they'll open it up. And, and, and they try to reiterate to them that this is a sacred text. This is sacred, what we are dealing with. This is from God. And it's, it's interesting, sometimes you think, so many people will say, oh, I believe in God. I just, and I even believe in His Word. And they might be so strong in their convictions about it, but so careless in their study of it. Very slow, not like, I, well, I'm just so busy. You don't understand how busy I am. I don't have time to open this book and to sit before it. It's a way of saying, I don't have time for God. I, I, I've read that before. It, it, but it's, it's not a novel that you've read or listened to and then set it aside. It, it is something... That is, it, this, these things are true. They are trustworthy. They, you know, sometimes, and Anna's really big, she'll read a blog or this person or that person, and she'll tell me, like, well, we need to do this. I read, she'll look it up online. Well, this is what we need to do with the kids. 
when they're sick, this. And, this. and, that, and that's not bad. Like, I, I, I think, you know, right now, like, don't eat apples. Next week, we can eat oranges and apples. But you, can, you, gotta, you have to intersperse them. Orange first, then an apple, then an orange. No, but I'm just joking. But, but it is funny. It's like all this stuff, and it's coming at us, and it's like, well, th- these people know. And then these people know, and then, you know, and you're just, sometimes you're just like, man, I just, I don't even, I can't keep up with all those things. So I'll just say, can we feed them this at this time? The other day I told her, in 17.5 days, we can give them this. Like, you know, but mark it on the calendar, you know. But anyway, it's, I joke, I mean, I play with her about all that stuff. But, but I think it's, 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 it's interesting because these words are trustworthy and true. And, and people are not going to come to us 30 years from now and say, that really botched it up. Like, look at those kids now. You know, like we should have never. It, it's not that way. It's the eternal word of God, and it is true. Now, the other thing here is these things are trustworthy and true. And the Lord God, the God of the spirits of the prophecy, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And you remember when we, very, when we started this, we, we said, oh man, that, that is pointing us back to Daniel chapter 2. And it's taking us back to that place where God had said, like, seal these things up. Now we are in the times where it is revealing and so what we're seeing is, and I think it's very important for us, is that these things are, these, he says, after these things, it, it kind of moves into the idea of it's coming quickly. It has come. We are living in these last times. It's, we really, and the apostle said this, but we, when, the, when Christ came and he did his work and he ascended into heaven, we are, that whole process inaugurated the new age, the time between the times. We are living in those last times. We are living in those right now. And so John is not told to seal them up for a time to come. It is reveal them now. It was given to the first century church. It's not like John was told, hey, hold on to that until the 20th century when everybody will be able to understand what this book is all about. It's not, not the case. In the first century, it was given to those people that they might understand these things. And it would be clear to them. So that is what's taking on. And there's this kind of chain of events in the revelation of of this message where you go from the communication is from God to Jesus to an angel to John and finally to Christians, which kind of reveals that John is certainly a part of this process and this is a prophetic office and he's speaking the very words of God. And he is exhorting us to be ready to prepare ourselves now, here's the thing. Sometimes people will speak of prophecy, or you'll hear them say prophecy conference. What they're talking about is uh, one aspect of prophecy. Prophecy, and it's, I mean, I guess you could say, if you were to summarize it, can be both, and I, I like the way some people say this, forthtelling and foretelling. Forthtelling meaning like, I'm speaking into that situation, foretelling, meaning I'm speaking to this coming situation, the coming day. And so what happens in the book of Revelation is, is that we have both of those. 
So that in Revelation 2 and 3, it's a prophetic voice as Jesus speaks to the churches and he speaks to them about their situation. It's foretelling. He's saying, I have looked at what's going on in your lives. You need to get right. But in reality, all that, as you progress on through the revelation, some people say, well, all the rest of that's the future. That's foretelling of the future. But in my mind, he is speaking to them in the present and he's communicating things that will impact their lives now. And, and I think here, that's one of those things where you see the goal of this book is for them to hold fast to the very end. And so he is speaking to them about the things that must soon take place, things that were taking place right then that they were dealing with. So if you read the Revelation and it is not for now, if it's not the apocalypse now, I think you misread it because it should impact the way that you live so he is speaking to them about very clearly about how they live in the present and really what is in store for them in the future and the things that are going to happen in the future certainly are going to motivate them in the present and all of that works together now are you properly responding to the contents of this book one of the things might be here is, have you turned away from the world and turned to Christ? Have you sought to destroy every hint of rebellion in your heart and devoted yourself fully and wholly to Christ? Have you um, really like abandoned and turned away from some of the idols of this age that are enticing you or causing you to fear for some reason and said, I trust that Jesus is taking care of me and he will provide for me. The revelation is calling you with a prophetic voice to a response. Another thing I think it's just important for us to say about that is that we as the church have the, we are to take this, this message. We are Really, to speak forth these truths so that people prepare themselves, so that they are ready. Something very much for the present, for them to understand God's plan for the ages. The Revelation does that. Now, another exhortation is Revelation 28 through 10. He is coming soon, so worship. Verse 8 through 10, you see here, John uh, he says, I'm the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who, who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Again, this, this emphasis of seeing and hearing, it's kind of like a legal witness in a courtroom. When they, they, I mean, the, the thing that's always great is if somebody can come in with an eyewitness testimony about the situation. John has seen these things. He, he, he has heard these things. He's written them down. They are trustworthy things that he has received. Now, and, and so I think that's important that you see that. Um, now, what, what's interesting here is John is responding in a wrong way. 
John is now worshiping this angel. And this is not the first time he's done that in the Revelation where he worships the wrong one. And so he begins to worship this angel. The angel stops him and says, look, I'm a servant like you. I received this from, I mean, it was given to God, from God to, the, to Jesus. Jesus gave it to me. It's given to you. Now it's going to be given to the church. It's one of those things I think is just important for you to understand that and for me to understand it. That what's what's taking place here is sometimes even like solid Christian people can wrongly revere a messenger. And you see that. And we I think I heard that in one of the discussion groups where it's like people can like whether it's a system or like a certain church or a certain leader that they'll almost think that they're infallible in some way, like almost think that the message is coming from them. I always, it's interesting to me, and I, and I try to tell people this a lot, like somebody will say, oh, uh, uh, that was a great message. In a way, like sometimes even I'll hear people say, well, God, is, is, God gave this man this great message to share with us today. And, and it almost has this feeling a little bit of like God is actually handing down a message to him for his people, almost as if he is bringing something that's never been brought to them before. Uh, as if it's something really special in the sense that it's almost like he's getting like divine revelation himself and now he's giving it to you. I, it's, when, I, when I'm preaching a passage, you know, you know what I'm doing? I'm looking at the text, trying to figure out what it says, and try to help you understand better what it says. So that's all I'm doing. I don't really have any message from God in the sense of, oh, I'm bringing this message to you today, and it's so unbelievable. God gave this to me this week. No, God gave me His Word. And by the power of the Spirit, you study His Word. And by the power of the Spirit, you preach His Word. And really, all of it's His Word. He, he's already given it to us, right? But He does call leaders and teachers to bring that to us. So really, in some ways, like the most creative... I mean, I'm like the least creative person on the planet. I never come up with it. <laughs> Kelly's like, oh, yeah. no, I don't ever come... I'm not coming up with anything, I'm not coming up with anything. We are looking into what God says, and it happens that God has said, okay, Jared, this is a part of the way you're going to serve the church. You're going to get more time than other people to study His Word and then kind of help them understand it better. That sounds kind of simple. I think that's, I think that's the way it is. I think that's one of, one of the dangers of, of maybe misunderstanding the messenger. It's something we struggle with a lot. Because he, He's not somebody you exalt. He's just a messenger. He doesn't have anything to give if it hadn't already been given, right? So there you go. But anyway, I think that's important for us to see. Um, the main point here of verses 8 through 10, because we're going to move forward, is to worship God, a worship motivated by the, his gracious revelation to John of the prophetic meeting of Christ's death and resurrection for believers' present lives and for the future. It, it, it is it's a call to worship God. It, he is the one that's given this to us. It, we're responding to what He has done for us in Christ and all the benefits that come from that. When Jesus took that scroll and began to break its seals, all that came from 
the, the results of what Jesus accomplished by his life, death, burial and resurrection should cause us to worship. And we're getting to receive that on display here. It's a call to worship rightly God. Third exhortation here, 22, 11 and 12. He is coming soon, so do what is right. Notice in verse 11, let the evil doers still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. That, that, that's kind of one of those things where you're like, man, what's going on here? You could make a note, Daniel 12.10 speaks like this. It's, it, it sounds like it's almost like uh, pulling that in uh, bringing that up to us here in verse 10. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. It's a way of showing the destiny of the righteous and the unrighteous in a way saying they'll stay in the present condition that they're in. It's kind of the picture there. Um, it's not that the angel's saying remain in your sin. It's just the idea that the, the whole idea let, that him who has an ear, let him hear. Th- that picture there, and I think it's important, is this kind of thing that you see. It's like with Pharaoh, when the plagues begin to hit him, he hardened his heart. He didn't have an ear to hear, and he kept hardening his heart. And you see sometimes even where you're saying, well, God is hardening his heart, but you're seeing this work of like, as they harden their heart, they continue to harden themselves. And it's really almost like a prophetic thing that they continue to move forward in that way. Unbelievers are not exhorted to hear, but believers are called to hear and obey God's word in this text. It's really kind of one of those things where when Jesus was out preaching... And he went and presented himself in Matthew 1 through 12. You see that or 1 through 10. You see this presentation of Christ in 11 and 12. You see the rejection of Christ in chapter 13. Jesus begins to speak in parables. And as he speaks in parables, the disciples came and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he says, because um, it really they they've heard, but they will not hear. It's, an, it's come to them, they will not hear. And so I am going to speak to them away. Well, they'll never hear. It's like a judgment that is falling upon them. It's kind of the picture there. But those who, the, the, the parables for those who do hear, those who do receive this message that God has granted that they might be able to hear, they're going to get greater revelation from it. It's kind of that same concept. That may be hard for you. If you've never studied it, but it might be helpful to read Matthew 13 and you'll see that. We don't have time to go through all that. But anyway, verse 12, behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Again, he says, I am coming soon. Now, the idea here, you might say, is like a thief in the night where he shows up. And you weren't ready, you didn't know, he's coming soon. And, and that like you might be, uh, you know, it'll talk about people giving in marriage. And do, they're going throughout life unaware, un, like not even thinking about it. And boom, there he is. It, it might be in that sense that he's coming soon. Another way to think of it is, um, it, it, it's to kind of understand that like after his first coming, there's really this major event that's coming. And that, that's what we're awaiting, the second coming. And so maybe you're looking at this being soon in that it is the next event. However you read it, you don't want to be caught off guard. That, 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 that's kind of, 
You don't want to be caught off guard. You want to be ready when he comes. You want to be prepared. You want to be looking forward to his coming. And this verse really, as you're kind of moving forward through it, what you see here, it's, it's a very powerful thing where he's going to repay each one according to what he has done. Now, um, okay, I'm going to read a couple things for you because it's very important. You begin to ask yourself at this moment, is the basis for our standing with God based upon our works? Is that how we kind of enter in or stay in or however you want to say that? Um, I'm going to read a couple of quotes and then we can discuss that further. But it's a, this one guy says, the verse does not mean that it's on the basis of good works that a person will be justified. That means declared right in God's, you could say, in the courtroom of God, that they're declared right with God based upon their works. For such works apart from Christ can save no one, since perfection is required for acceptance before God. And what does that mean? It means that if we could save ourselves, why did Jesus come to die? If man in and of himself could rescue himself, you don't need a savior. You just need to be good enough. And if you're good enough, then you'll be granted access to the Lord. Now, the reality is, is that Jesus did not come because we were good enough, but because we were not good enough. Because the scripture says our deeds are as filthy rags in the sense that we can't make it on our own. We need a savior. Okay. Another thing just to think about in the book of Revelation. Revelation 5, 9 and 10. Do you remember when Jesus, I mean, when when the father was holding the scroll and what happened in 5, 9 and 10 or before that, even John had began to cry. And what did he, why, why was he crying? Because he says, no one is worthy to come before the throne and to take the seal. What's he saying there? He's saying there's no one really worthy. But then one shows up who is worthy. And it's the one who, the, the lamb who was slain for us. He was slain and, and redeemed by his blood people from their sins so that they could be considered worthy. So that the only way that you and I have access to God is through the work of Christ. That's kind of the picture there. That God is holy. We are sinful. Christ is a savior. He was perfect in every way. And then he died for us. That's the good news of the gospel. So when we're looking at this, I think it's just important to kind of start by thinking through how the revelation breaks it down. Another thing the revelation says is that, and I think it's very important. It says, those who wash their robes, which goes back to 714, they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. How is someone prepared to meet God? Their robes are washed by the blood of the Lamb. What does that mean? That means that what He accomplished for us is applied to us. So that we can be in good standing with Him. Now, all that said, and I think it's very clear in the Revelation that that's the case. But on the other hand, 
works are considered a necessary condition for salvation at the final judgment. How is that? I mean, what, what do we, how do we deal with that? Works are a sign demonstrating that a person has already met the ultimate causal necessary condition for salvation, which is justification from sin by Christ's death and resurrection. Something to, to consider when you're thinking about that. It's to understand that, that there is this place where you're trusting, of course, in the work of Christ. And, 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 and man, one who genuinely trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ has experienced the new birth, their lives will demonstrate that. They, they will live in a certain way. They will walk in a certain way. They will not be perfect, but they will demonstrate the transformation that takes place. When Christ raises them spiritually from the dead, it will manifest itself in works. And they, they really will do good works. It, 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 and it gives evidence to what work that God has already done in their hearts. So I want to read a couple more verses and then we'll kind of go from there. Ephesians 2, 6 through 10 says, And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now listen. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then in verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. And I, I guess I, this is what I would say. This is, an, this is an exhortation here. And He's saying to them, He is saying, Do what's right Act in a, in a way that would be befitting of the child of God. And what is he, I mean, what's the issue at hand here? I think what we see is certainly throughout the revelation, we are trusting in the work of Christ, but we are also walking in a way that would honor God in a way that is fitting for the gospel. And that evidence is very clearly that we are truly a part of the people of God. This passage in Ephesians says you're not saved by your works, but those works do prove who you are. They demonstrate who you are. They, they, they put on display that Christ has saved you, that you've experienced the new birth, that the Spirit has done a work in your heart, and you will live in a way that would be pleasing to Him. You will be known really progressively as you will become more and more like Jesus, and that is what we see. Now, why would he say this? Because there are people in the church, in the church in the Revelation, in Revelation 2 and 3, that are claiming to know Christ, they're getting to be close to the people of God, and yet the evidence is not there that they're truly Christ. And I think it's something to stop and consider and to examine yourself. I don't think we should never, ever stop examining ourselves in that regard. Fourth thing here, Revelation 22 13 through 17, he is coming, so thirst for him. Verse 13, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. He's calling himself really what we saw about God. He's saying, I am the eternal God. Jesus is calling himself the eternal God as he, we've already seen throughout. It's highlighting his deity. He says, I'm coming soon. So, Wash your robes. What, what is that? that again, is, it's, a stamp, it's, a, it's really almost pointing to walk in faith, trust in Jesus. It, it, it's trust in His finished work even from Revelation 7, uh, 14. 
So it's making yourself ready. And it also has an aspect of you preparing yourself by living in a way that would bring glory and honor to God, as we said before. He's calling them to live a holy life. Notice as you look through this text, it says, so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter into the city. Again, this picture here of one being right with God. You turn to Revelation seven fourteen through 17 real quick. It says, I said to him, sir, you know, and he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb is in the midst uh, in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So they, they have, they've come to him. They're longing for him. They're, 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 they, that's what you see even in the Beatitudes where it's like you see these people who are mourning over their sin, they're poor in spirit, and then they're thirsting for Christ. They're longing for Christ. They're wanting to be filled with Christ. They want to dwell with him. They want to know him. Now, you keep moving in this verse, in verse 15, and you see the people that are outside of that. Outside of Christ are those who are the dogs and sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves to practice falsehood. The picture here is those, there are people in this, really around the church, you might say, who are claiming to be a part of it, but they aren't really a part. Uh, did you, I mean, are you, you, you get that? There are some who claim to be a part of the people of God, but they're not actually a part. They are counterfeits. And I think that's what the Revelation addresses, is those who are counterfeit Christians. Those who claim to be in Christ that are not truly in Him. Now here's how that works out, just real quick. There's a couple of things that you see. One is this, that sometimes you see the counterfeit is one who is... um, uh, really kind of embracing the world and wanting to hold on to Christ at the same time. And so they, they're like kind of almost like trying to, to, they love Egypt in a way, and yet they still want to be with the people of God. And then sometimes you see these counterfeits as ones who have kind of run away when the difficulty comes. And, and really, I think the picture here in the Revelation is that some people want the spiritual advantages of being a part of the church but the security of being a part of the world. And I think those things are going on. So, those who are being addressed here are those, and really when you look at the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the dogs, a lot of that's tied to idolatry, what they worship, what they treasure most, what they love most. And so he's exhorting them what he's been doing all along the way to follow the Lord. Verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I'm the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. This, this picture here now is, is speaking of, he's laying out for them his triumph in a way. He's saying, I'm the king. I'm the king associated with King David. I'm the bright and morning star. The new day has dawned in me. Trust me, follow me, be faithful to me to the end. You, you see, that, 
Y'all see that going on here? Like all of these exhortations to walk in a way that would be pleasing to the Lord. How does the church respond to Jesus say that he's coming? You'll see that here. You know what you know what the church says? The spirit and the bride say come. And let the one who hears say come and let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Question is like do you long for his coming? Have you ever um have you ever thought, you know, I just don't want to think about that right now. I don't want to think about it. I don't really want to, 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 to dwell on that. You're just not really focused on the coming of Christ. You just want, I, you know, I've had people say before, man, I really want Jesus to come, but not, I still, I, I first want to be able to live this life. It's kind of showing where their heart, they treasure this age more than they do Christ. I was finishing up writing this on Friday, and Benjamin uh, it started running a fever and Anna called me and sent me a text and she says, he wants you to come. He's saying, daddy, hold me, daddy, hold me, daddy, hold me. He wanted me to come home. He, 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 I don't know what he thought he'd get. It's my presence there. I don't know. Some level of comfort. But he was saying just that same thing. Daddy, hold me, daddy, hold me. So she's texting me and I'm thinking, oh, I got to get done with this so I can get home and be with him. Can you imagine if you really, 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 really believed all the promises here? That you would be saying, Christ, come, come get me, rescue me, save me from all of these things. He's going to change everything in a moment. He is going to be with you, and in, 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 you'll be in his presence forever. He's going to take away every pain, every difficulty. It's, it's hard to believe what His coming will do. And you kind of wonder sometimes, or you, you find yourself really saying, come. Do you long for that day? When we look at this, I think it's just important that you see that and think about it because He's speaking and to let the one who is thirsty and let the one who desires all the way through a thirst and a hunger for the Lord is an evidence. And it's something that we should stir up in our hearts and in the hearts of those around us. Fifth thing here, and we'll be uh, done. In Revelation twenty two eighteen through 21, he is coming, so be warned. I warn everyone who, wear, who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in the book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. You see that? This exhortation, it's really a warning. It's a warning. Remember when Israel received the law, it was one of those things where don't you add to it, don't you take away from it, don't you do anything with it. And and sometimes when you see these incidents where like the golden calf or different things that happened in the life of Israel, what were they doing? They were adding something to Jesus plus something. And he says, don't add to these things. Do not add other gods. And that's kind of what was happening in the life of Israel. And it may be what's happening in your own life. Just like the promises are given to the church to help them persevere, so are the warnings. It's extremely helpful for us to know that they are very real. And I, the way I've thought about this, and I've mentioned this before with y'all, and then, I, like I said, I'll be done. But when you think about 
um, and it, w- it was explained to me by a guy one time saying, like when you're climbing a mountain and you think about a hiker, he has all these things that help him along the way. And oftentimes he'll get his mindset and focus on maybe today with a GPS, but he's looking towards the top. And he sees like all the benefits of course of being to the top of the mountain. And he's climbing up and he's looking at that. And he knows the reward will be he'll be able to see all these things. And he'll make it to the top and all the glorious things associated with coming to the very top of a mountain. And be able to look out and see all the things that come with that. But along the way, if someone's been down that trail before, there will be signs. And it'll be like, here's the ne- you'll see the trail. And there'll be a sign for the trail. And it'll show you which way to go. And there'll even be warnings sometimes of like, don't get off the trail. Just stay on the trail. Stay on the trail. And I think what's going on here is um, you need both like the encouragement of the wonderful blessings and the, the, the really the warnings of what will happen if you walk away from it. If you turn and go your own way. If you choose another life. And I think that's kind of what is going on in this text. He has these promises and now hear a warning. Now, they should be taken seriously. But I think, it's, I think it needs to be understood that God is about His people persevering. And He uses promises and warnings to help us do it. And the scripture tells us over and over that God does not lose his sheep in the book of Revelation. He speaks of our names being written in, in, before the foundation of the world. Uh, it speaks of Jesus being the one who paid for the penalty of the sins of those whose names are written in the book. All these things that highlight for us that God is for us and he will keep us to the very end. But while at the same time, he does use those warnings as very real warnings to say, don't turn away from the road that I have for you to walk. Now, verse 20 and 21. He who testifies, he says, surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, as we conclude this, Jesus is saying over and over, I am coming soon. I'm coming soon. Be prepared. Prepare yourself. The revelation is not written for people to almost like uh, kind of say, oh, I just don't understand that. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to know anything about that. It's just too confusing. It is written for people to, to really persevere to the end, to keep on their minds that Jesus is coming and that he is going to judge those who reject him and he is going to bless those who, he, who come to him in faith and follow him all the days of their life. And it's written to really encourage the church to press on. There are promises and warnings throughout it. And it's a call to persevere. It's a call to live an obedient life. It is a call to walk faithfully with Christ. Really, it's a call ultimately for you to to live your life in such a way where you say, there's an ultimate reward. Let me worship the King who's come and who is coming again. And so that is how we should, I think, read the Revelation. We should be faithful witnesses We should run away from the idols of this age and we should live our lives with the goal to glorify him in everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. I pray that we would never lose sight of the vision that's here. That we have a promise. That we have a future. That we have hope. That there's certainty of life, an eternal life with you forever and ever, for those who persevere by faith, by, by His grace, 
that we might walk in that. And I just pray that we today would be a people centered on you, treasuring you above everything else. In Christ's name, amen.